Well, once again, good morning, and uh, there are some of you that are actually joining us online for the first time, and so uh, we want to welcome you to our worship here as well. And as I said during the announcements at our traditional service, we're offering two different services this summer. Um, the first one is our traditional service in person here at the church at 8 o'clock and online live streamed. Um, but we're also offering, starting this Sunday and all the way through August 27th, our outdoor worship services at Babe Man Park. And those services aren't going to be live streamed. We're just streaming the message. And, and part of that is we're hoping that as many of you as possible that join us for that service are going to join us out at the park at some point. Um, but I want to invite those of you online and those of you here who are in person um, to come out anyway. Kathy's like, I'm not so sure, but we're going to have Kathy, we're going to have hot dogs and brats. So, just in case that changes your mind, if you're watching online, you can watch the message and, and uh, have a cup of coffee and then come out for lunch. Um, but all that information is on our uh, website. We've got lots of other events that we're really excited about out at the park. It's just an opportunity for us to be able to connect together in God's creation. Um, which is exactly what we're doing here as well as we study his word. So would you join me this morning in opening up God's word? Um, take out your Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, take the one out in front of you. If you don't have a Bible of your own, the one in front of you is our gift to you. If you're joining us at home and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one. Um, so let us know. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians. Um, it's about this far in in my Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 beginning at verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This uh, past February, I, I had the privilege of taking a, a short trip to Phoenix, Arizona. I, I've shared a couple of sermon illustrations from that experience already. Uh, so some of you have been around for a while, you might remember this. I was there for a pastor's conference, and I had never been to Phoenix before. I'd never been to Arizona before, and neither had any of my kids. And so I wanted to bring something back that was unique. Uh, something that you can't get in Wisconsin, especially it was like January, February it was, um, and so it was really cold, and so I didn't have a whole lot of time, it was kind of a rendezvous trip, and it was on my way back to the airport the day that I was leaving, I found what looked to be a super authentic Arizonian storefront. 
uh, where they sell only the kinds of things that you can buy in the desert, like snake skins and desert rocks and, and dream catchers. And I was looking through everything in the store, and most of the things in the store were things that, um, honestly, they were very touristy cliche, until I found these jars. I've got a picture of Sherry's Desert Harvest Cactus Marmalade. And I thought, that's perfect. Because if there's one thing you can't get in Wisconsin ever, but especially in the month of February, it is cactus marmalade. Now, if we could come up with a way to make marmalade out of cheese, we might have something unique. Bill, Bill is with us this morning. Um, he's excited about that, but I think you're the only one. <laughs> I don't know how that would work, but who knows, right? Maybe it'd be like cream cheese. Anyway, so I, I found this, and I thought, this is perfect. It's not cliche. It's a one-of-a-kind thing. I bought a jar. It's gluten-free and dairy-free. I've got family members that need both of those things, and so it was perfect. And I walked out of the store, and my flight was leaving in, in just an hour or two. And so I took it, and I shoved it in the only bag that I carry with me, which is my carry-on bag. And it was in doing that that this question popped into my head, this very important question is marmalade considered a liquid? <laughs> because if you fly, you know that there are some strict restrictions around the kinds of liquids that you're allowed to carry on a carry-on on an airplane. And even if it's an allowable liquid, it has to be within a, a certain amount or you're not allowed to take it with you. And so here I was sitting in this parking lot of this touristy store, and I took out my phone and I Googled TSA marmalade liquid question mark. <laughs> And, and you, you might believe that, sure enough, the Transportation Security Administration has made an official ruling about whether or not marmalade is indeed considered a liquid. I'm sure it had to go through years of committee reports and expert testimony. I think the Supreme Court ultimately got, there was challenges. I mean, it was just this big mess. And so as I was reading the legal briefs, what I learned was that it is indeed considered a liquid. And so I took it back out of my bag, and I thought, well, hopefully it's under 3.4 ounces. If you look at the picture again, you'll see this is the same jar. It was way over 3.4 ounces, and I was devastated because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to bring this one-of-a-kind gift on the plane. And so if I couldn't bring it on the plane, there's no way I was going to be able to get it home, and I had no choice but to take it back into the store and return it. Now, I exchanged it for cactus candy. <laughs> really wasn't the same thing, but it wasn't liquid, so I was able to take it. It reminded me of the series that we're starting this morning, Summer Baggage. We're starting a new sermon series because we're starting a new season here at St. John's. And every week we're going to look at a different scripture passage like the one that we read just a few minutes ago that highlights baggage. Baggage that we ultimately can't or shouldn't carry with us. Baggage that weighs us down. Baggage that holds us back in our relationship with God and with each other. And some of the baggage we're going to talk about this summer is, is baggage that isn't inherently in and of itself a bad thing. It's like the marmalade. I don't think that if I tried to get through security and they pulled that out of my bag, I don't think they would have taken me into an interrogation room and asked me, why are you trying to bring cactus jelly to Wisconsin? 
I, I, I don't assume that they would have had any concern with that. They just would have confiscated it. But we all know that those rules exist for good reasons. And there are things that we really can't and shouldn't take with us. Sharp objects or flammables, things that pose a real risk to ourselves as well as to the people around us. And so during this series, we're going to talk about both kinds of baggage. And today, we have an introduction to the idea that all of us carry something with us. And the things that we carry are not always that helpful. And, and we get into that in our, second le- in, the, in our reading from the second letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to the first generation church in an ancient city known as Corinth. Now, a little bit of background. Paul started this church during one of his earlier missionary journeys. And it's a real church, which means it consists of real people, which means that they carry real baggage. And the baggage that they carry is having a real effect on their relationship with God and their relationship with one another. And so in in 1 Corinthians, you may have read that. We read that together as a church just about two years ago. Um, He addressed a lot of the baggage that they're carrying that's affecting their relationships with each other and with God. It It was the baggage of division. It was the baggage of playing politics. It was the baggage of sexual immorality. It was legalism. It was pride. It was rejecting the truth. It was, it was rejecting the truth of their faith. And these are real things that these people were dealing with. And, and Paul shared with them he, this bold message, this painful message. And it was painful for him to share. It was painful for them to hear uh, because nobody likes being the bearer of bad news, but especially when you're sharing it with somebody that you love. And so that's what Paul did. And by the time 2 Corinthians rolls around, Paul is acknowledging that many of the people that he has been speaking to have actually turned from their destructive tendencies, their ways. Praise God. Uh, they've turned back to God and they have recognized his grace and they've even reconciled with the Apostle Paul, except for this one group that's still rejecting Paul, and they're still rejecting his teachings, and they won't let go of their baggage. And those are the folks that Paul is writing to in our reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So let me, let me read the first two verses to you again. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am, and I want you to notice the quotation marks, timid when face to face with you, but, quote, bold toward you went away. I beg you that when I come, I, (coughs) excuse me, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Here's what we have here. We have the baggage of twisted expectations, but specifically expectations between the way that the world works and the way that followers of Jesus are called to live. And I just want to say this, that is a tension that we're all going to live with until the day we meet Jesus face to face. There's this tension here. And so you've got these quotation marks that I wanted to point out to you in verses 1 and 2, where it says that Paul is 
timid when face-to-face, but bold when away. And, and so basically what they're calling attention to is the fact that Paul has written them and admonished them to turn back to God. He's poked at some things that they're guilty of and it hurts. And yet when he comes, he doesn't quite come across the same way as he comes across in his writing. And I think to myself, this is why I really don't like text messaging. <laughs> How, how, many, how many of you feel that way about text messaging? Like you, you know somebody really well, and then they send you text messages that just don't read quite the same way as your experiences with that person face-to-face. Does anybody else feel that way? Uh, you know, they might be really warm and bubbly and friendly, but they send text messages that come across as really direct and in, insensitive or whatever it might be. And so I imagine these, these Corinthians are experiencing something similar with the Apostle Paul. The message that he's sending them and his presence seem to be contradicting because the message is challenging. The message is bold, the message is personal, and it's convicting, and yet at the foundation of his aura, of his presence, of the way he approaches them, is this thing we call grace. It's the way he begins his letters. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How does he start this section? Verse 1, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. And yet what he ends up saying doesn't feel like grace and peace and humility and gentleness because it's challenging. But then I think to myself, haven't we all experienced grace in a challenge? Is, is it not grace for a parent to forcefully hold back their toddler who's about to run into a busy street and get hit by a car? The toddler might not feel that way, but that's absolutely an act of grace. If you have a friend that notices that you're getting too close to someone that you're not married to and they say, hey... That's making me feel uncomfortable. That might make you feel uncomfortable to hear those words, but is that not a word of grace? Is not grace found in the form of a doctor or a nurse who who looks at your blood work or your test results and says, this isn't good. You need to make lifestyle changes. Or we're going to need to start intervention, medication. You're going to need to have surgery. I mean, isn't that grace, whether you want to hear those words or not? Can't grace be found in the form of an intervention between spouses and children and brothers and sisters who say that they're worried about another person's anger or addiction? There's grace in all of those messages. And we know that, right? At least in our heads we know that. So when Paul actually comes to these folks in person, they're they're looking down at their phones, they're reading his last message and then when he comes to them he comes to them with a heart of grace and peace and they've come to some conclusions they've called him timid because they think that you can't say bold things and be filled with grace at the same time humility and gentleness are the opposite of confidence and power in the eyes of the world you can't have both 
And confidence and power are the qualities that we look for in leaders, especially when something has been spoken into our world that has been earth-shaking, whether it's the whole world itself or your own personal world. When the world is falling apart, think about terrorism or war or global pandemic. Don't we look for the president of the United States to sit in the Oval Office and speak with authority? And not just authority, but but words that are followed with confident and decisive action. And, And anything less in the eyes of the world is considered frail and weak. And so the question becomes, what if in the kingdom of God, confidence and power just look different than they look in the ways of the world? What if the bolder the message, the more earth-shattering the situation is, the more grace and peace is required to face it and in the one that's communicating it. I mean, if you're carrying something that's going to kill you, whether it's pride or whether it's cancer, that's a bold message that you and I need to hear with grace. That's why the Apostle Paul comes with humility and gentleness. And the reason they question him is because they expect him to come in confidence and power which to them means that if they really do have all the baggage that the Apostle Paul is calling out in their lives, he better not have any, because the person pointing out my baggage better have no baggage at all. He better have everything together. And I say this because I know this. People expect that of pastors. If you walked in the door for the first time, you might expect that of me. He's standing up front. He's got to have it all figured out. And Bill Gross is with us this morning. He's, He's our... He's a pastoral student, and so he's in seminary. And by the time he graduates with his master of divinity, he will be divine, because that's what that means, right? <laughs> right? That's that's. I'm, I'm glad that you, some of you, are laughing, because you know that isn't the way it works. But that is the way the world works, right? We give authority to those who have their act together, those who never fail, those who never admit their weaknesses. And is that not what is so painful about the cultural moment that we're living in right now? How many people are falling, right? Leaders in the church and in politics and in Hollywood, all of these people that we have put up on pedestals thinking that they have no weakness, that they never fall, that they have everything together all the time. And so these folks are thinking the same thing about the Apostle Paul. And he says in response, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Think about this. How does the world wage war? What if a country sends a a firm message to to an enemy nation, and, and then in response to that message or following up with that message, instead of showing up at their border with troops and missiles, what if they show up at the border with water bottles and blankets and love. And I, I know that sounds utopian, doesn't it? I mean, people would say to me, like, that, that sounds great, but, but that's not the way the world works, Pastor Tom. And you know what? Paul isn't suggesting that it is. Second Corinthians is not a letter that's written to the Pentagon. <laughs> It's not a letter that's written to the, to the Roman emperor. It's written to followers of Jesus. 
And what he's saying is that if you are a Christian, you are now a part of a completely different war. Your war is against sin and against death. And the weapons against those things look very different. Verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. You and I have at our disposal weapons that are stronger than the strongest weapons of this world. Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's Ephesians chapter 6. It's the full armor of God that Paul talks about because our real battle in this world is something far deeper and far more spiritual. It's a matter of the heart. Our enemy is not against this world. It is not of this world. And so if our enemy is different, then the battle is different too. And if the battle is different too, then we're going to need different weapons. Weapons that look more like grace and peace and gentleness and humility. And the reason we need those things is because the battles that matter the most, those things have the power to actually affect in ways that nothing else we carry will. And if you don't believe me, or you don't believe the Apostle Paul, I want you to try it next time. Next time you're in an argument with someone and you know you're wrong, instead of carrying the baggage of guilt and shame, instead of using the weapon of pride or making excuses or hiding what you've done wrong, I want you to say something. Actually, if you have a pen and paper, I want you to take it out. If you're at home, I want you to take out something to write with, okay? Um, Okay, you ready? Ready? Here's what I want you to say. And the next time you're wrong in an argument with somebody else, here's three words I want you to say. I'm going to put them up on the screen. I am sorry. Do you need to know how to spell it? S-O-R-R-Y. Let's try it again, right? Because some of you said it, but some of you were like, I don't, is that English or Greek, right? Like, let's, let's say it again. I am Sorry, if you came to church or you're watching at home with family, they now know that you know these three words. I am sorry. And some of you, you might be thinking, you know what, but I'm not the one in the wrong. Well, guess what? I got a different weapon for you to try. When somebody hurts you, there's another three-word <laughs> sentence you can try on for size. Let's say it together. I forgive you. <laughs> I know this is really deep, guys, right? This is what you go to seminary to learn, right? These, yeah, Bill doesn't know how to do this yet, so I hope you're taking notes. This is why you're here to learn, right? <laughs> what did the Apostle Paul say in Colossians 3? Let me read this to you. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has grievances against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on, say it with me, love, which binds them all together. And say it, perfect unity. Why? There is very little else in life that matters than what's written right here. There's actually nothing else in life 
that matters. When you are on your deathbed, you won't care what arguments you won or lost or who's at war, but you will care about who you have forgiven and who has forgiven you. You will care about who you love. And I was brought back to Ecclesiastes and Solomon's words. He says in Ecclesiastes, it's a beautiful book because it's the truth of life. He says all of life is, is he says meaningless. It's, it's fleeting. It's vapor. That's the, that's the actual word in the original language. It's, it's, it's fleeting. And in chapter 7, he says, he says, therefore, don't be too good or too foolish. And what he means by that is he has learned in experiencing everything there is to learn in life that the world doesn't operate on foolishness, but it also doesn't operate on perfection. Both are baggage that we need to release because the kingdom of God operates on grace. It operates on grace. And, and, and I just have to be real with you. I, this week was really hard. On a single day, I officiated at a funeral for a 15-year-old boy in our community who, who suffered for many years. And I watched his family and his loved ones. And some of you in the community grieve this indescribable loss. And that same day, I found out that a dear friend that I heard had gotten sick recently has been diagnosed with a very serious, life-threatening illness. And then I went home, and my wife Alyssa and I went to Culver's because it was our 15-year anniversary. That's a good thing. <laughs> but all of it happened on the same day. And all of it got me thinking about all the things that we grab hold of in this world that just don't matter anyway. They just don't matter. And so if there's one reason that I can give you, that I can implore, that I, that I could just beg you to, to let go of your baggage for, and that's what forgiveness does. It's, it's letting go of our baggage, whether you're the one forgiving or you're the one receiving forgiveness if there's one reason that I can encourage you to do that over and over again, it's because it frees our hands so that we can take hold of what matters most, and that's love. Love God and love others. That's why Jesus came to forgive you, because God loves you. And so he came to forgive you. And that's the only thing you can take with you anyway. And I'll leave you with my, my Arizona cactus marmalade. <laughs> As I told you, I, I, I bought the candy instead of the marmalade, and, and yet in my head, I, I didn't have time. The whole time I was on this trip, I was thinking, i got to find something unique, something fun. My wife said it couldn't be something that was alive. <laughs> And I got to bring it back for my family. And I found this marmalade, and I couldn't. I told you I was disappointed. I couldn't bring it with me. It's this one-of-a-kind gift that I could not bring back to Wisconsin. And I couldn't stop thinking about it when I got to the airport. And so I turned in my rental car, and I walked into the airport. And what did I see in the first impulse store in the airport? What did I see? I saw an entire wall of cactus marmalade. <laughs> 
And you know what I saw at the next impulse store? Another wall of cactus marmalade. Every store in the airport sold cactus marmalade. Even the store that sells overpriced cell phone chargers and soda sold the same brand of cactus marmalade. And I saw it, and I couldn't help but stop and laugh. And I thought, you know, I guess it wasn't as unique as I thought. And I can't take it with me anyway. (laughs) And so I was actually glad that I had a moment of wisdom back in that parking lot to take it back in the store and return it. And as I was preparing my sermon, I thought, I think we're going to feel the same way about the baggage that we get to release as well. There's so many things we carry on this side of eternity that we're going to get to the gates of heaven and we're going to see, wow, There's a lot of that that everybody dealt with just like me, and I can't take it with me. And so I want to encourage you to let it go starting now. And why don't you join me as we pray a prayer, asking God to do that work in us right now. Lord Jesus, as we get into this series on summer baggage, we need your help. We need you to begin helping us to see with humility the things that we carry around that are weighing us down. Things that don't matter, things we can't take with us. And and if we're completely honest, they're things that are hindering our journey through life and our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. I don't know what each person here is carrying, but I, I pray that Just like I had that moment in that parking lot at that store in Arizona, looking at this cactus marmalade jar, my prayer for myself and my prayer for all of us who are gathered in this place and in all the places that we gather together to worship is that you would reveal those things in our hearts and our minds and our souls, the things that we're packing away, that we're holding on to, that we we know in our heart of hearts we're not going to be able to take them with us. Would you give us the strength to release those things? Release them through forgiveness and grace so that we might take hold of the only things that matter most, the things of love, the gifts that you have freely given us that we in turn can share with the world around us. Would you do that work in us? May that work begin today. We love because you first loved us. And it is in your love, in Jesus' name, that we pray.